We are uh, three weeks into a series on intercession, and um, this whole thing comes from this passage in Isaiah 62, where it says, day and night until, it says, I've posted watchmen on your walls, never be silent day or night until he establishes his city, Jerusalem. And there's just a real call there, and so we really sense the the push to pray and to intercede and to dive deeper into that. So a couple of weeks ago, Chris started us off on what intercession was. Then last week, we took a small tangent. Mark, um, one of the interns here, and did a fantastic job preaching on uh, devotional prayer. Now, he did that for two reasons. First of all, that if you're not an experienced intercessor, it's really easy to get the two mixed up. You can kind of go from devotional prayer to intercessory prayer, you know, in the kind of same line, the same sentence, if you will. And so what we wanted to do was distinguish the two that are there. But the other thing to say, and, and this is really important, is actually that the power in our intercession comes from the intimacy in our devotion. The power in our intercession comes from the intimacy in our devotion. So definitely check out those podcasts, videocasts, or whatever it is on the website. Now this week, I'm going to dive back into intercession, and we're going to pick up on that phrase that Chris and Mark both used, which was very simply that intercession can be summed up like this, that intercession is to stand in the gap between God and man. Now we could develop that further and say it's standing in the gap between God and man, to in the, uh, praying in the promises of God for the liberation of mankind. Now, some of you are obviously well-experienced intercessors, and there are, I can actually see a couple of people in this room that just pray fervently and just are inspirational. For me, I became a, a passionate, driven intercessor about two weeks ago. So I am, I am new to this. I, Chris always asks me to preach on things I know very little about. It's amazing. Um, but for me, it all started when Robbie Dawkins was here. I mean, who was here with like, some of the Robbie Dawkins talks? I mean, that was inspiring stuff. Uh, I was really excited about him coming for a long time beforehand. And then he appeared, and I didn't really actually know why I was excited. I knew what he did. I knew how he did it. And that was pretty cool. But there was something that was going on beneath the surface. And as he, as he talked and as he preached and as he practiced, you know, it was really profound to me what was actually going on. God was taking me back. He was reminding me of why I even joined this thing, this gig, and became a Christian. It was firstly because of the love, the unconditional love that he poured out on me. You know, saved me from an utter car crash of a life. He did that not because I did anything or because I earned it, but because he decided to do it. And secondly, um, it was a great adventure that he promised that I could partake in if I was to follow Jesus. That I would not just see my own life change, but I would see others around me change. That I would see people who are desperate and hurting and lost become whole and, and functioning in the way that they were supposed to be. And communities would change and nations would change. It's entirely true and that's the reason why I still follow God with everything I have. Because it's just an amazing gig. But it, the other thing, he, he inspired me to go around praying for people as well. Now, obviously, after the talk, you all just went out onto the streets and you started praying for the sick, right? (laughs) It's kind of an awkward moment. Um, We did, because we're we're just, we were so desperate. So so me and uh, Mark, um, we, uh, on Monday, after the whole weekend, we went out and we went to Morrison's. I told you the story a couple of weeks ago, but I'll remind you. So we, we went to Morrison's, we went seeking for someone who was in cast or who was on crutches or whatever it was. We were just gonna pray for them, whoever they were. And so we walked up and down the aisles and just couldn't see anyone. And then after a good search, we suddenly saw her. She was on crutches. So we ran towards her. I stood in front of her and blocked her in the aisle. Mark stood behind her. 
praying. And I was just like, oh, you know, what happened? We had that whole conversation. And, uh, and I said, wow, do you know what? I really believe if you let me pray for you, God's going to heal you today. And she ran. I mean, she fled. I mean, she like, I was on crutches and she just zoomed out of the place. Like, I don't, I'm just going to take that as a healing, I think. I mean, God did something in that woman. I'm, I'm just telling you, it's amazing. Um, so, okay, fine, we'll take that. And then the, uh, the next thing, I got a phone call from my mom. And it was uh, that she said uh, my dad had injured himself. He had been helping someone move and he'd hit his ankle and he thinks he's fractured his ankle. And so uh, I hung up the phone and went, yes, this is awesome. Not only am I just going to be able to pray for someone and see them ill, but this is in our family. And my dad becomes a Christian. That means revival is going to hit the Gaffard family and everyone's going to be saved. It's going to be amazing, God, thank you. Anyway, my mom called back later. She said, oh, don't worry, it's just a sprain. No. <laughs> what do you mean just a sprain? I was so disappointed, so upset. Just so you know, I did repent of that later in the evening. It was good for my dad, for my dad's sake, that it was just a sprain. But I was so frustrated. So, uh, so I carried on looking for people to pray for. And these kind of things happened over and over again. People kind of ran away from me or, uh, you know, and very little happened. And I was just getting more and more frustrated. And so one day I was walking into town. And, uh, you know, as you do when you walk with, you just walk and you're by yourself, you just kind of, you try and engage with God. And it felt like I should worship and I should be thankful. I mean, God is doing incredible things around here. You just need to look at the stories page on the website to see what God is doing. Uh, I should have worshipped. That was, but I was so, there's something bothering me, something frustrating me about all of this that was going on. And I knew I had to just say something about it. I knew it would be awkward, but I had to. And so I... I kind of cried out. No, well, not really, because I mean, I'm walking on the street in, in the middle of town. That just looked mental. But inside, I was crying out. I was desperate. And so I prayed a prayer similar to this. I said, God, I'm so sorry if this seems ungrateful, but I don't understand. You say you want to heal people. You say you want to see people come to know you. And yet here I am offering myself, saying, God, use me, and nothing's happening. Why? You know, far be it from me to tell you what to do. But I know your heart is to heal. I know your heart is to save. So why are you holding this back? Why, God? Now, I can't say I had a divine or defining moment at that point. But I did feel like God was just saying, now you get it. Now you get it. And in reflection, I did. That was intercession. That was me getting uncomfortable. That was me going out of what I usually do. Just stepping into that place between God and man, saying, God, don't forget your people. I know your heart is to bless. I know your heart is to give, so give. You know, a Christian, as a Christian, we, one of the things we thrive on is vision and passion. And both of those things are born in the midst of prayer. And God is calling us into that intercession place, intercessory place where we would get to know his heart and we would get to become familiar with it in devotion and pray into it for the sake of his people. Do you know, it's really interesting. Over the last week, I've read it three times from completely different authors of completely different generations. But this, this phrase, this kind of idea, this principle that just keeps on standing out, simply this, the lack of power at work is not a, the lack of power is not to do with God's side of the equation. 
the problem of power not functioning has nothing to do with God. God has the power. He's releasing the power. He's sending the power. The problem has more to do with us. As it says in James 4.2, it says, You do not have because you do not ask. You know, the Father is more than willing, more than willing to do good things to those who ask. It's prayer that releases that power. You know, Mike Bickles, who um, is part of our inspiration behind this series and does a lot of teaching on this, says, um, God has chosen intercession as the primary means in which he releases his power through Jesus and with his people. We need revelation of his majesty and mystery of intercession. We really do. As a primary means, we need that revelation. And that's why I say, you know, a call to prayer. What we're doing is we're taking a little season out and we're saying, rather than us just praying, although that would be a wholly great use of time, let's, let's align ourselves. Let's get into the understanding of the mystery and the revelation. Let's teach on it before we do it. And so I, I invite you, everyone who's in this room right now, and if you're friends, come along tonight at 7 o'clock and, and be part of that. Learn how to intercede. So I got it. And after a weekend of praying, after a weekend of um, interceding and just using any time, now understand this, I have two young kids, I have not found time in my schedule for a long time, um, but I found this really sweet moment which I didn't realize existed. After we put Bella to bed, our oldest, there's just this moment where I usually just go and sit in front of the TV, it's so nice. And I realized that actually if that time is the time where I could just disappear into the conservatory and just pray. And it started off for just a few minutes, and I didn't time myself because I didn't want to be one of those people. But seriously, like, after just a few times of doing that, I was in there for an hour just interceding and, uh, and just praying in God's promises. And I did that as much as I could over that weekend. And then uh, Monday morning, after a nice argument at home, we, I was cycling to work, and I was like, oh, God, yeah, great start to the week. And then I saw a woman on crutches. I was like, no, God, not now. Please. And I just knew I had to do something about it. So I pulled up at the traffic lights. I got off my bike and just watched her. I thought, oh, I wouldn't do anything. And I basically stalked her for about half a mile. And, uh, and I thought, okay, I'm going to have to do something about this. And so I went up to her and I said, look, I'm, you look like you're in pain. Can I carry your bags or something? And she said, no, no, I'm okay. I said, well, what happened? And she told me, I can't remember what it was. And, I said, and, and then she said, do you, sorry, do you go to Vineyard? I was like, oh, my God, phew. I'm so glad, you know, this makes it so much easier. That was getting awkward. I said, look, yeah, I do. Can I, can I just pray for you? Because I really think that God's going to heal you. And she goes, yeah, sure, that's fine. And so I prayed for her right in the street. Just laid a hand on her ankle, I think it was, and we just prayed. And she was on crutches, and, and I just prayed a simple commanding prayer. And immediately, she went down from a 10 to a 5. I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. And so I, I, I said, do you mind if I pray again? She said, yeah, yeah, sure. And I prayed again. And, and she went all the way down to a zero. And she got totally healed just there and then. And she said, you know, I, I still feel a bit kind of like I, I want to use the crutches. It's more of a comfort thing. But, you know, I really think it's totally healed. And I was like, yes. Praise God. And I went, I, I was just so over the moon at that point. I was so excited. And then but even in my journey back to work, something dawned on me. That was just one person in a city full of people that are lost. Now, I did some math to help God out because it's helpful to do that sometimes. Um, looking at like census data, population data, how many people are uh, non-Christian, do you know every day in the UK, 652 unbelievers die? 
and go to hell. 650, that's like just less than the size of this room full of people every day going to hell and spending the rest of eternity without God. I say, God, one person's not enough. We need the whole city saved. We need more. You know, we, we don't see this because we don't ask for it. You know, at the end of the day, prayer is profoundly simple and yet simply profound. You know, by asking and by interceding, I'm not referring to a kind of two minute on the toilet while checking Facebook, just about to go to bed prayer. And I've been there, you know, I know you have. But I mean setting aside some time and saying, God, for the city, for the nation, for the nations, would you, would you intervene? So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to teach on a, a passage in scripture um, from Genesis 18. It's the story of Abraham and Sodom, where he basically has three visitors come, and you work out that one of them's God, and two of them are probably angelic um, beings, and this is interesting conversation takes place, and then God sets his, um, heart, uh, sorry, sets his face towards Sodom to bring judgment, but there's a little bit more going on to the story, so let me just read it, and then we'll, we'll pull some things out of it. So when the, this is Genesis 18, verses 16 onwards. When the men got up to leave... They looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him, etc., etc. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? I mean, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? I mean, far be it from me. So if I be from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike, far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 people, 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I have nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, what if 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. <clears throat> what if only 30 can be found there, he said. Um, and God answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 people could be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. You know, for most of us, this kind of looks like a really interesting uh, bargaining thing of Abraham and God in, 
India bargaining over the price of coconuts or something like that. But actually, there's so much more going on here. This is the first extended recorded prayer in, written in the Bible, recorded in the Bible. And there's so much we can learn from intercession. It starts with outcry. And so, because the society, because Sodom had become so unjust and so severe, the outcry was great. You see, the word outcry in the Bible always refers to the oppressed, the poor, crying out for help. The reason why Sodom was judged was that they did nothing to help the poor and the needy. They weren't acting justly. They just allowed the poor to be oppressed. You know, many don't like the idea of a judge in God. But look at the outcry. Look at the suffering. If you don't have a God that judges, then you don't have a merciful God. As a response to the outcry, Abraham cried out. You see, there's more going on here than God about to judge a city. He, he kind of lingers as if to draw Abraham in. He could have just gone. He, could have, he didn't even need to walk with Abraham. He could have just disappeared. But he kind of hangs around trying to invite a conversation to take place. I mean, he turns around and says, you know, shall I, shall I say... You know, if I was having a conversation <clears throat> with one of you guys and I said, well, you know, I, I don't know whether to tell you this, but it's me inviting you in to, to be part of that conversation. I've already trusted you. I've already taken that step. And now I want to share that with you if we would engage in that conversation. God confides in Abraham of what he's about to do. Now, Abraham has probably wept over the city many times. His nephew Lot is in there. He's seen the suffering go on. He's seen the wickedness of the city and his heart breaks for it. Now, I've got a lot of friends in South Africa, as some of you probably have family. And it's you know, renowned for being one of the most uh, dangerous places. And yet, my heart isn't that you know, my, my friends would just be pulled out of there. But my heart would be that the city would be changed. The nation would be made better. It's a bigger prayer. For the idea of Abraham... The idea of the whole city, including his family, being wiped out for the sake of evil grieved him, as it would you. But that's exactly what happens. And that's what's happening. And so his heart tears as he catches a glimpse of what God's going to do. His gut wrenches. Everything about him feels uncomfortable. He can't just watch this happen. He has to step in. He has to intervene. He has to do something. And so he stops walking. And he gets right in front of God steps in his path. And then he approaches him. He takes a step forward. It's kind of akin to a picture of a, a lawyer standing in the courtroom and approaching the judge's bench as if to have a conversation before judgment is passed. Now, interestingly, Abraham doesn't, he doesn't just pray for his family that they would be brought out, but he prays for the whole city, not just those he feels deserves it, but everyone. He knows God's character and so just as Chris demonstrated a couple of weeks ago, he prays into what he knows. He prays into what is read in the Bible. He says, God, I know that you're righteous and just in judging the earth. But would you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Would you not spare the whole city if there were just 50 righteous people? Now, unfortunately, we kind of miss the potency of what Abraham is asking. And it is powerful. And so he's saying, you know, we, we struggle with it because we kind of believe more in this whole thing of individualistic sin rather than corporate sin. 
We kind of think that when we do things wrong, that's what accounts to us. If someone else in our family or in our community or in our government does something wrong, we kind of think, well, it's on their head, whatever. But actually, we are so different from the rest of the world in the Bible who believes in corporate sin. When someone does something around you and you know them and you're related to them in some way, form, workplace, or whatever it is, then as they do evil, you've done evil. You've participated. I'll give you an example. So uh, we were in town the other day and... um, uh, we're looking around some charity shops, and I came home, and I said to Tara, oh, look at that. That's such a cute little teddy bear that Aria's got, a five-month-old. And Tara looked at me and said, oh, we didn't buy that. <laughs> and suddenly the realization that Aria's shoplifting already. This is kind of awkward. <laughs> In my individualistic way, I'm kind of going, whatever. She stole it. She can go to prison. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with me, surely. But no, of course not. Our corporate sin the corporate identity takes place, and I say, oh, that's kind of awkward, she stole, that means I've stole, that means we're all evil and guilty and need to do something about this. You know, we're kind of harboring um, stolen goods, this is awkward. I'm not innocent in that. And so, yes, I will go back to the shop, you can hold me accountable to that, and I will pay for it. But that's the whole idea of corporate sin. Now, Abraham knew this. And when he looked at the city and he realized that the majority of people were sinning, they were wicked, they were evil, he realized that the whole city would be tarred with that same brush. But Abraham asks a really interesting question. He he kind of cracks in on a really profound principle. He says, well, if the majority are evil and that is applied to the minority that they would be under that same judgment, could it work the other way around? Could the small minority of people that are good, that are righteous, that are, you know, that are honoring God, could, could God, could you look at that and tar that against the whole city? Could, I, could you look through the lens of righteousness rather than the lens of evil? And God says, yes. Yes, I can. Now, so impacted by the gracious goodness of God that he, and so predominant is the God's will to forgive rather than to judge, that Abraham gains more courage and he presses in. And he says, well, that was for 50, but what about for 45, for 40, for 30, 20, 10? And God says, yes, 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 over and over and over again. And then at the, as he's nearing the climax, as we get into the big finale, as we're, we're getting to the moment where he's gonna, Abraham's going to ask that powerful last question, What about one? He goes home. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. You know, it's kind of that frustrating moment. Just out of interest, who's seen Inception here? Yeah, that kind of awkward open ending that's so frustrating. Oh, God, why didn't you just leave the cameras on for a little bit longer? Then we'd have seen the answer. We'd have known if it was a dream or not. Sorry if I've ruined that for other people. It's exactly the same as we're looking at the story of Abraham. We're going, just, just stay there, Abraham. Just, just pray that last prayer. Ask that last question. But he doesn't. He goes home. You know what I reckon? I reckon if he prayed that last prayer, God, so be it that you are just, that you are judge. But would you look upon the city with the same eyes of righteousness, with the lens of righteousness, and for the sake of just one person, would you save the whole city? And God would have said, yes, for one I will. But Abraham stopped, and Sodom was destroyed. But for the grace of God, his family was saved. 
But what good was that for everyone else? Now, do you ever wonder why he stopped at 10? Why he kind of gave up at that point? It was probably the difference between Sodom being saved or not. Now, I can think of three kind of possibilities as to why Abraham stopped there. And so what I want to do for the last few moments is look at those three possibilities and then say how they no longer face us today. We no longer live in that reality that we can go all the way. And so the first one, you know, the one possibility that Abraham stopped praying at 10 was simply put, he bottled it. He realized what he was doing. He looked at the conversation he was having with the almighty God who could destroy him just like that. And he thought, oh my God, I've got to 10. This is pretty amazing, but I don't want to go any further. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Okay, I'm out of here. Thank you, God. And he stepped back. It suddenly dawned on him what he was doing. He quit. You know, my hope and my prayer is that we would never be quitters in the area of intercession, especially before we've even started. Now, you say you don't know whether your simple prayers you know, really make that kind of difference. Well, there's this interesting phrase that says, you know, there's a difference between not feeling good enough and not feeling able. You know, the first is where you disqualify yourself, and the second is where God qualifies you. And when you say, I don't think this is good enough, you're wallowing in self-pity, saying, oh, I don't have what it takes, it's not me. When you say, I don't think I'm able, you depend on God. You're desperate for God to fill in the gaps. You make room for God to move. As an intercessor, you are the link between our impotence and God's omnipotence, if you would but make room. You know, we're called to intercede, and it isn't easy. You know, the invitation to intercede may be free, but the maturity that comes with it is expensive. You know, intercession isn't just about being nice and gathering with a whole bunch of people and, you know, have a cup of tea and pray for the cities. And yes, tea should be a key part of intercession. I believe that. But it's uncomfortable. It's difficult. It's a challenge. It's getting out of your normal flow of life and getting into the face of God. Oh, God, would you? It's not, yeah. It's the idea that God would pour out judgment albeit deserved, that bothered Abraham and made him step out of that flowing life and approach the bench and risk that difficult conversation. Abraham was willing to put himself in the way of harm. Are we willing to inconvenience ourselves and spend time interceding, seeking God's heart, maturing his ways and standing the gap between God and our cities and our nations? You know, the truth is, is that intercession does affect our time but it affects other people's eternity. In the heart behind Abraham and biblical intercession is very simply boldness and humility. The only way to become like Abraham and pray like Abraham prayed is to believe in who Abraham believed in. And the problem is that most of us just try and be good Christians rather than answer God's call to that intimacy that he wants for us, that Abba Father, as Mark spoke on last week. But there's a marked difference, and you can see it, Mark's difference in people that are just trying to be good Christians and people who are in that place of devotion, in that place of intimacy with God. And it comes with two things. Boldness. One who knows God intimately through devotional prayer and has stood in the gap of intercession is scared of no one. No one can intimidate the woman who stood before the almighty God and lived. More so interceded for people and heard God's voice say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Someone once said there are three kinds of people. Those who are afraid, those who don't know enough to be afraid, and those who know the Bible. 
because they know the will and the heart and the mind of God. That's boldness. The second one is humility. But also the man who intercedes is condescending of no one because he does not confuse intimacy and, um, and with familiarity. He does not call God his mate. Instead, he recognizes the, different, the distance between God, his creator, and him, the created. He is, as Abraham said it himself, but dust and ashes. But for, for God's forgiving grace, he is welcomed into the presence of the king and now stands on the bench of the judge interceding, not simply because he found his way there, but because God invited him into that place. He loves God because God first loved him. Do you ever feel intimidated by someone? Do you ever look down your nose at someone? And I would say that God is calling you into that more intimate place. You haven't yet grasped your position in Christ to rest in it, to relish in it, to savor it, to rejoice in Jesus, your King and your Savior, so that you can stand in the gap boldly and humbly. You know, make no mistake, as I've said before, the power in our intercession comes from our intimacy in our devotion. The question is, are you ready? The second one is this, is do we believe that God is ready himself? You know, another reason why maybe Abraham stopped praying at 10 was that he suddenly dawned on him that maybe, even if he got right down to one, one righteous person, that, that only righteous person might be Lot, his nephew. And let's face it, Lot was a good guy compared to everyone else, but he wasn't perfect, he wasn't righteous. It was a failed prayer. We don't actually have what it takes. So was that going to be enough for God? No, it wasn't. Now, Abraham could have prayed that prayer, just one, and God would have said yes for the right one. But as great as Abraham's prayers were, they were limited as he didn't have the means and the power to fulfill the demands of that principle. But we do in Jesus. You know, Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. When we have sinned on the cross, our sins were just were tarred on him. In that corporate sin kind of way. But the other way round too. When Jesus died on the cross as a righteous man, his righteousness was imparted, imputed unto us. We now walk around with that righteousness through Jesus. Not only do we, are we declared righteous, but we can enter God's presence to intercede. But when we're interceding, we can point to the cross where sin was finished. And then we can point to the empty tomb where righteousness flourished. What a privilege. More so, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. In other words, he's got our back. It says in um, Luke 22, before Peter, Simon Peter, went and, and denied him, Jesus prayed for him. It says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. It's a hard gig being an intercessor. It's an uncomfortable, painful one. But Jesus says, don't worry, I've got your back. Now you may mess up, you may come short, but I pray that your faith will not fail. You know, one of the awesome things about Jesus, well, several of the awesome things about Jesus praying is that he conquered death. He rose from the dead. He's not dying anytime soon. It says in Hebrews that uh, we, we lack a, a constant intercessor because everyone who took that position, that priestly position, just died. It's kind of awkward. But Jesus will never die. He will continue interceding for the, until the day we die. 
He knows our hearts. He knows what we want. And he's able to intercede day and night. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. And do you know the exciting thing about it? Jesus always gets what he wants. And so when he intercedes, when he prays, he gets it. So when he says your faith may not fail, no matter how hard it is, no matter how tough you're feeling, no matter how low you are, you know that prayer is going to be answered. Your faith will not fail. So yeah, God's ready. And the last one, are we ready? Now this is a big question. You know, the third reason why Abraham may have stopped praying is because he looked upon it and said, well, 10 people, yeah, you know, if God saves the city, that's one thing. But 10 people, that, I reckon that number of people, they could transform the city. But less than 10, I don't know. If there's less than 10, if God saved the city and he spared it and he forgave it, those few people would be overrun in no time and evil would win again. But 10 people, maybe at 10 people, there would be enough people to change the city entirely. Interestingly, you know, a synagogue can have no less than 10 people. As a, as a, and what exists to usher in God's righteousness, to honor God, to exalt God, not just a social club, not just a hangout. It has to have, it can have no less than 10 people, 10 fervent people. I wonder if that's why Abraham stopped. Now, I'm pretty good at math, and I reckon, just because a quick count, there's more than 10 people in this room. See, I'm good at this. <laughs> I wonder if that would be enough. That we were as 10 people would pray, that we would intercede. 10 people that are community, we could change the entire city. 10 people that are loving, that are joyful, that are sympathetic, that are serving, that have access to God and that are interceding for man, that we stand in that gap for our neighbors, that we could redeem the city. I believe we can. I believe we will if we get this. You know, I, I didn't say this in the first service, and I'm a bit short for time, but I really, I really feel the urge to say this. You know, I want to... I wanna, challenge us. I want to suggest something that's crazily radical. I want to say this, and and listen to the rest of the story before you go away and take this point home. I don't think our prayers make a difference. I think it's our lack of prayers that make a difference. Do you get that? See, God's heart is to bless. God's heart is to save. God's heart is to pour out his love on communities, to see them redeemed, to see them saved, to see them brought back to him in wholeness. Not to judge. And all he's waiting for is for someone to stand in the gap to say, God, yes, do that. He's, for whatever reason, he's ordained you and I, every single person in this room, to stand in that gap. He calls us into it. He says, everyone can do this. Everyone is invited to do this. This is your part. This is our partnership Now, we cannot do God's thing, and he will not do ours. And so he calls us in to stand in the gap. And when we pray, that's when God does what he wants to do. But when we don't pray, that's when God is just left to be a merciful judge. I think it says it both powerfully and heartbreakingly so in Ezekiel 22 when it says this. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. 
I looked for someone among them who would stand in the gap on my behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger. I will bring down on their own heads all that they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. Consider how devastating that is. How powerful that is. That we have been invited, we have been ushered into the presence of God to stand in the gap. And like Abraham, he lingers around that we would, that we would step into that place, that we would pray. And like Abraham, that we would step into that place, that we would get in God's face and say, God, that's not right. I know your heart, and I know your heart is to do, is to bless, not curse. It's for mercy to triumph over judgment. Lord, would you do that? For the sake of one, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And God would say yes. That we as a community, a community of 10, should we say, maybe pockets of 10 all over the city, praying for different parts of the city, different parts of the region, that we would come together and we would pray. We would stand in the gap so that when God goes looking for that person in the gap, then he finds us. He finds us praying. He finds us in seed. And you know, interestingly, you know, this whole day and night thing, it is impossible to pray day and night. I can do it for like a day and then I fall asleep. I don't think it's on one person. Day and night until requires more than one person. That we would be a community that pray together. That when one person steps down, that another person steps up. When one person goes to sleep, another person wakes up. When one person prays, the other one gets their back. We need to do this together, guys. Are we ready as a community? Are we willing to stand in the gap? Are we willing to intercede for God's promises, his desire? Are we that people? I really hope so. Would the um, band come back up and would you guys mind standing? Like Abraham, you know, the outcry of the poor should make us cry out. There are poor people all over the city and beyond who are crying out to God. And God hears their cry and he, by default, says, I cannot stand this anymore. I need to do something about it. And so he invites us in, not just to pray and intercede, but to do something as well. That we would be a community of 10 that would stand in the gap. That we would be a community of 10 that would love, that would cherish, that would give a place for people that are poor. That would feed the hungry. That would clothe the poor. That would help the broken. That would stand up for the cause of the victim. That we would be that people. That we would, as we're so doing, praying for a building in this place, that we would have space for people to find a home here. That they would have no need to cry out to God because they would know that God loves them and is with them. And that's what we're doing tonight. That's what I'm inviting you to do every single day, to pray, to intercede, to usher in God's promises. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for the invitation to intercede.
And it's not that we found our way and stumbled into your presence, but you welcomed us in, you invited us, you, you ushered us in. That we may have those difficult, seemingly difficult conversations. That we may present your heart before you and agree with you that what you want to do is to save, to redeem, to breathe life. That we would be a community, that we would be ready individually, that we would know that you are ready and that we would be ready as a community to do all that you have called us to do. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.